What is up, dude and dudettes? Welcome to Keep It For The Pod, a podcast where three people you don't know talk about things you may or may not care about. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Keep It For The Pod. I am your host, Alistair, and I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts. The amazing Ray and the wonderful Maddie. (laughs) Okay, today's episode, we are talking about the, not the, one of the greatest movies of all time, The Mummy, starring the one and only the incomparable Brendan Fraser. Um, I love this movie so much. It is part of my childhood. Um, If you go back and listen to our Sandlot episode, I think you'll start to get a theme of the type of movies that I am into. This movie is great um, action. You have romance. You have suspense. You have very hot men. And you have magic and mummies. I don't know what more you can ask for. Uh, I am going to push it over to my co-hosts to talk about what they think about The Mummy. First of all, love the mummy, but um, no intro for the amazing Rachel Weiss. Like, I'm pretty sure the woman has an Oscar, and I, I, yeah, she's amazing in this movie. I, I don't like that you don't say anything about her. She's also a very beautiful woman, so I'm extremely insulted that she did not get as a good as intro as Brendan Fraser is. No offense, Brendan Fraser. Also, love you, but like a little bit more up to Rachel Weiss. Like, I'm a little oh. right. Oh wait, I'm not finished, Alistair. Sorry. Also. What's the connection with the Sandlot on the Mummy? Like, what's going on there? Just great movies from like the '90s and 2000s. Yeah, I was like, I honestly, if you, if anyone that knew you in real life, and anyone that I know that have known you in real life, we never would have expected the Sandlot to be your favorite movie. So saying these two are connected are like very, very different things. Also, I did look it up. She does have an Oscar. Um, I know that you know Brendan Fraser does too, but they're both they both have the same. They both have an Oscar for being a supporting actor or actress. So I think they're, you know, at the same relative caliber. Um, I will agree with you, though. There are a lot of beautiful people in this movie. Um, Not everyone in the movie, but a lot of uh, beautiful people. I think I was talking to my husband, and I think we ranked it as the the Magi, um, the leading man. There is, like, the the best looking. Oh, Um, dead fair. Just rating the men um, in this one. But I would probably go, yeah, the Magi. um, Then probably Rachel Weisz, I would go. Um, if we're if we're doing men and women, my husband then said the mummy was actually his second because we didn't do like we didn't add women in that he didn't add women in that one. But I just think the mummy is pretty good looking. I would probably still put Brendan Fraser before the mummy, and then I would probably go mummy. And then he went the guy that looks like like the like what he called the American that he called the knockoff Brendan Fraser. You're <laughs> <laughs> a genius right now with that ranking. You clearly know what you're talking about. So great job. Also the Magi, I love that hair. You know. I love me some thick hair. As someone with some thick hair, like get in that herbal essence commercial, just the waves and the purple. <laughs> that is the way to live your life. I agree. Before we get into this synopsis and before I break down the opening of this movie, I just need to say nothing against Rachel Weiss. I said nothing for or against her. I was simply hyping up my sexual fantasy, Brendan Fraser, and there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't bring up anyone else. I didn't highlight or elevate or, or you know, bring down anyone else. I simply talked about Brendan Fraser, which I think is fair and fine. And I'm glad that I have 
my two lovely co-hosts who did bring up Rachel Weiss, who did recognize her excellence as as I do, even though I didn't say her name, because I feel like it didn't need to. It's kind of like Cher or Madonna or Beyonce or Britney. You don't have to, you know, like it, it goes without saying. She's great. She's fantastic. This movie wouldn't exist or be as half as good without her. And I think it goes without saying. So I'm just going to throw that in there before I move on to this opening scene. But I am going to allow you to rebuttal that if you want to. I mean, you know I am. So thank you for <laughs> permission to rebuttal. Like, I don't know what that's about there. but It's the a- etiquette of debates. That's, that's what you do. Like, you, you leave the room open or a space open for a rebuttal. That's what happens. I didn't know we were in debate club now, but thanks. Anyways, as <laughs> I was saying, because you interrupted me again... Here's the thing. Maybe you don't have to say it, but it doesn't hurt to always compliment someone. Everybody loves a compliment. I complimented Brendan Fraser. I will say you did call him incomparable, which is kind of saying that he was like the best in the movie. Um, I mean, I think I think they're all pretty great. I think it has a pretty good cast. Even Jonathan, who I know I didn't put my rankings. I think his character is pretty funny. Um, The actor that plays Benny is very good in the fact that you really do hate him. And I think that's what you're supposed to do. And I think he does a really great job of that. Also, I, I gotta just give it in for the guy with the glasses is pretty good looking too. So, got that. I mean, his, it, it, he gets really done really badly. So hot. So a lot of a lot of I understand why this movie is a lot of people's like sexual awakenings because there's it is a good looking cast and that does hold up thirty years later. Yes, yes, it does. Okay, so the opening for me is really great because it's something that I feel like a lot of movies don't do anymore, and it's a voiceover that's. That also um, works as a info dump. It gives you the backstory of our titular character, the mummy, Imhotep. Uh, it gives you background on who he is, what his motivations are, why he did what he did, and you kind of get a sense of who he's going to be as an antagonist. I really appreciate that. A lot, I feel like a lot of movies now just like info dump too heavily on you and like they just like drop all this information in your lap and expect you to continue to follow the movie and not feel like you're like you've just been lectured at. So I really I really enjoyed that voiceover. The graphics are great. The graphics are really great for the time. They really hold up um, the the sand stuff with like the faces and uh, the mummy itself is all really good, so it, it it works really well. So I like that's what captured me within the first few minutes of the movie. What about you guys? I, I'm not going to say the special effects necessarily hold up. If I'm being honest, there, Alistair. Really? Yeah. Like I mean, some of the stuff isn't bad, but like some of it, like you, you really think it holds up? Like really? One hundred percent. I think, given for the fact that it was it came out what ninety nine two thousand, and watching it now in twenty twenty three, it doesn't like compare it to like a lot of movies coming out today. Like, do you really think like the VFX in like the Flash are gonna hold up? Like, it doesn't even hold up now. I feel like I feel like given for what the time was and and like the technology that they had, and a lot of the stuff was shot on scene with practice practical effects with a mix of VFX, I think it holds up, especially considering the CGI dump that we get now in a lot of movies. I think it holds up really well. Uh, Alistair, there's there's some things that with the Flash movie that there's a whole bunch of reasons why that movie is not going to hold up. I'm, I'm not going to blame the special effects for that, to be honest. But the special um, effects are bad. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with it. Let's just, we're not going to, that's going to go, let's go down a huge rabbit hole, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But... 
I mean, I do think there are some movies that have held up better with special effects, if I'm being honest. From the same time frame? Yeah. Oh, I would like to know an example. Please give me an example. I think the example that Ray is about to say is Jurassic Park, which will come up in a different episode. Oh, um, God. For right now, what I want to say is, just because I know her pretty well, but what I want to say right now, and she's giving me the confirmation that that was what she was going to say, I think the production value on the movie is very good. And the fact that, like, you know, they had they filmed a lot of it on scene. My, my husband is like, we watched it together today, and he was, like, talking about that the whole time. Like, you can tell this was done on scene. And there are, like, some scenes, especially when... um. Imateps like gets the guards like like back from the dead and they're like all in the sand and they're like killing them like they're popping up in the treasure room he's like you can tell I guess I don't know but he was saying you could tell that they were shot with real people like people were just doing that and so like those scenes I think hold up a little bit better like Ray was saying I think it's just where it's like very effect heavy that sometimes you can kind of tell that it's older I mean I'm all for doing like kind of those simple things I love I know it's not great for the environment and I know that's important, but I love like an actual natural set compared to, you know, all that blue screen. So, you know what? I will concede to that point. I agree. I think the production value is what I'm connecting to and what I like. I think that is what stands out the most. The fact that they are on set on location and not behind a blue screen is really what I'm gravitating towards to. So I will concede that point. If I'm talking about full on CGI with like, you know, once we get into the movie, like, you know, sand and the mummy's face coming out of it. Yeah, it doesn't look that great. Um, I think what I was what I was trying to refer to was the the production value and like the on set things. And like, you can clearly tell they're in the desert at some point. I think that's what I was trying to say. So I I will concede that it it the production is what looks great and what holds up. Maddie, you might need to smack me in the face right now because I think I might be dreaming that Alistair... <laughs> I concede all the time when I'm wrong, which is rare. I will say he is trying to play by debate rules today. So um, he, um, he is conceding points um, and keeping score. But um, that, is that is surprising. I think, you know, it would depend on who you're talking to if you would say that every time you're wrong, you concede that point. Um, I think that's probably debatable. But I will say that I liked, I actually liked the movie more watching it the second time. I watched it the first time a few months, like months ago when we were thinking about recording this app. And then, you know, we ended up, you know, releasing our podcast later. And so I rewatched it and I think it's more enjoyable the second time. I think, no offense to you, Alistair or Ray, but I think you guys loved this movie so much. The first time I was watching it, I want, I thought it was going to be, I was expecting it to, I had like, it was hyped up too much for me. But watching it the second time is pretty enjoyable. And I was actually just talking to someone recently who told me that, like, they felt like they, they were just seeing it for the first time. And they felt like there's not many movies that they would have seen for the first time 30 years after it was made where they would enjoy it as much as they enjoyed The Mummy. And I do think that it's it's pretty good. There's parts of it that I think are better than others. Like, my husband really likes thinks the romance is better developed. I still think they could do some work on that. I still don't like the way that Rick is in the beginning like I still feel like there's some stuff that could be that could be better but I think they do a really good job I really like the mummy I think they do a really good job of, of him as a villain I think he for the most part he's a pretty efficient villain till the end um and I, and I think it's an enjoyable watch and I think it's like cool cool to see um I don't think it's like my favorite movie ever the way it is for for, for maybe you um and Ray but I do think that it's it's enjoyable and I think it's good at what it does 
also a great movie that came out uh, around the same time, the movie Titanic. Titanic is amazing. Don't roll your eyes. Uh-huh. No, Alistair, let me finish my point. Okay, here's the thing. As a child, I'm going to set you back many, many years ago. I'm not going to reveal my age, but it was many, many years ago. I would always watch The Mummy and Titanic almost every other day one summer because I love them. And yes, maybe it's weird that a child loved the movie Titanic and The Mummy so much, but like I loved them. But yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I do agree with you. There are aspects of the script that are problematic, but I also do love, you know, Evie's journey into becoming kind of a more stronger, independent woman. Yes, she does rely on maybe Rick a little too much at certain points, but at the same time, she's the one kind of solving the problem. She's the one that's reading the book. She's the one telling Jonathan what to do. I will say she also does create the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to put out here again, reading is important, but let's not read from books that are like um, maybe books of the dead. Maybe like let's not read them out loud. Like, why is that? Can we read them our head? If you, if you, if she would have read this in her like mind, you know, just like reading to herself, would the curse like have happened, or do you just have to read it out loud? Yeah. Also, for someone who knows so much about the curse of Hammurabi and had seen the tomb already, where someone had been done with the curse of Hammurabi, the fact that she says it is really stupid. She's you've already made her too knowledgeable of a character to make this mistake. Also, my husband pointed out while we were watching it that the guy that's like got the book that she steals it from. He, like, does not wake up at all when she's near him stealing the book from him. But, like, she starts reading it, and it, like, immediately wakes him up. Maybe he was on drugs. Like, this is a possibility. Then why would her reading wake him up? (laughs) What do you know about drugs that the rest of us don't? Maybe he just got out of a bad trip at that point? I don't know. I don't do drugs, so I don't know how they work. I'm just trying to help explain for what might have happened. I will say. The reason I like this movie so much is like it, it, it hits so many key points that I feel like a film needs to hit. It has believable romance. It has tantalizing um, suspense. It has great drama. It has really good action and like explosions and like fight, like type of like firefight fireworks that you love to see in this kind of movie. I kn- I know this movie get gets compared a lot to Indiana Jones. I have never seen the Indiana Jones movies, but like if the Mummy is any replica or a sense of what those movies are those movies must be really good because this movie is great so like i for me that's what draws me to this movie and that's why i think it's great um i will say if i can change the topic a little bit my favorite character in this entire movie and y'all gave me shit before is evie i think evie is the best character in this movie she has the best that's not what we gave you shit for. We gave, we gave you shit, shit for because... the actress. For no, not... no, we gave you shit before the last time we talked to you about this because you said your favorite character was Benny. Yeah, you definitely changed your tune, but I did want to put this out here really quick. Her- young Harrison Ford, current Harrison Ford, you are a champion of a man. So just my... want to put that out there, Harrison Ford. My favorite, my favorite character is Benny if I'm trying to be a contrarian and like have like uh, start strike an interest an interesting conversation around characters and how and how writing works. If I'm trying to be a contrarian, yes, Benny is my favorite character because like he's so despicable and unlikable, and that's why I think he's my favorite character. But if I'm talking about in terms of like protagonists, Evie is like my favorite character in terms of like like 
general like what what most audiences would like say like you know what i came away with a good feeling of this person yada 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 it's going to be evie but if i am trying to be contrarian like strike up a conversation i'm going to say benny because benny is so controversial hey alistair do you know what favorite character means it's it's one it's not like i'm going to change my mind depending on what i want to say you can have a favorite character for different reasons no it's it's one one favorite character no no This podcast topic will become about favorite characters in one instant, because that is not true. Like, you can have a favorite character for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can have a favorite character in, like, the... I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, the word favorite does kind of imply one, but I would say that, like, the favorite... I mean, my favorite character... I mean, I think most people's favorite character is She's the protagonist. I would say that, like, for the most part, the best written character, to me, is the mom. I really like... I feel like as a villain goes, for most of the movie, he's making smart decisions till the end. He's efficient. He's trying to get like where he, what he needs to get out of it. The reason why he keeps certain core members of the group alive makes sense in the premise of the movie and not just plot armor until the end. Everything, all bets are off once um, they come back to kill him when he's trying to sacrifice Evie. Like at that point, he starts making some bad decisions. But up until then, you understand his reasoning for the most part. It like makes sense to me. Um, that, you know, he wants to, you know, he wants to bring back his love. I was like, I think he's like, and he like, is like kind of terrifying without being like, so for most of the movie being so powerful that there's like no way they could defeat it. Do you want to say a few things really quick? Not really quick. I'm going to talk on and on once I'll be honest here. I don't know because I've seen the mummy too. The whole love story of him and a knocks on a moon kind of gets kind of a hit in the second movie so I think that kind of ruins my love story and I'm just like why'd you choose this lady like dude you seemed like you had a pretty amazing life like for I, I do want to say though an oxen moon should not be forced to be the pharaoh's mistress that's not cool and that's very real of like kings in the past and probably queens in the past of like forcing themselves on a common innocent people who did not deserve that so just want to point that out right now not cool people in power not cool but yeah, no, I agree. Like, he does make some smart decisions. I don't understand why he doesn't, like, maybe kill Rick right away. I'm just saying I would have been like, who's this handsome leading man? Like, getting in there and be like, mm, maybe maybe I should kill him. Like, he seems like he he's very much guns a-blazing. Like, I feel like for the most part, it's just because he doesn't have to deal with Rick one-on-one too often, except for when he's trying to defend Evie in the beginning, and then at the end when they want Evie to come with them. And I think, honestly, it just ends up being arrogant, like the fact that like for, he kind of does everything he needs to do up until that point without Rick really interfering, um, even though Rick is trying. So I get that. Also, I've never seen The Mummy 2, so I don't know. I'm just basing everything off of The Mummy 1. But I just think he's like an interesting villain. I mean, I, if I had to pick a favorite character, it's still Evie. Like, you're rooting for her the whole movie. I'm not rooting for the movie. But I just think that, like, sometimes you're watching movies and you're just like, okay, the only reason they get away is because this villain is just so stupid the whole time. And I like, I feel like it makes them earn it a little bit more for some of the movies. I'm just saying, though, I'm going to be a movie villain. Like, you, you can't let arrogance get in your way. You got to have a backup plan to a backup plan. It's like the whole thing when they capture, like, James Bond and they tell him their whole plan. Like, no, you just kill them right away. Say, Maddie, I really love your explanation about um, best written character versus, like, your favorite character. Um, I never thought about it that way. But now that I'm hearing that, I think that's where I'm coming from. I think, for me, Benny is the best written character and i think 
Evie is my favorite character. I think I was conflating those two things and like meshing them all together in like this one thing. I think Benny is the best written character in The Mummy and Evie is my favorite. Like I like her journey, I like where she goes, but I think Benny is the best written. And like, if I can have that, those those separated into two different, you know, um, colonies, that's how I would like put, like that's where I would put them. Like Benny's the best written, Evie is my favorite. If that supposed makes to say really quick, did you mean like columns instead of colonies? Did I say colonies? Columns. Gods of Olympus. No, yes, columns. Two different columns. Benny is the best written character, and Evie is my favorite character. Because, like, I really do have, like, this affection and, like, affinity for Evie. She's really smart. You know, even though she does cause the conflict, she at the end, she does solve it. And, like, she's just so endearing and just, like, so just, like, lovable. And just, like, she, she has her, her action moment when she gets it. And, like, nothing about her is contrived. She earns, like, I, um, someone here said the word earn. Like, she earns every moment that she has, and I love that. So that's how I would separate the two. And before, when I said Benny was my favorite, I think what I was trying to say was he's the, he's the best written, and that's why, that's why I love him. But Evie is my favorite. Wow. That's actually a much better point. I'm very proud of you, Alistair. Thank you. I try sometimes. I know. It's only some of the time, though, so... <laughs> But one thing that I really enjoy with Benny is the scene where he first meets the mommy and he pulls out that yes. like, those little necklace chain. He just starts saying every religion. And I love that scene. It's just well done. Yes. It really speaks to how he is a survivor by any means necessary. He will do whatever it takes. And like, it also explains like he doesn't believe in anything. That's what I got from him. Like he will, he will morph and shape into whatever he needs to be to survive and like to me that's kind of sad because like he doesn't really believe in anything he only like goes for like what he believes or perceives to be the most powerful who he thinks he's gonna who who, who he thinks is gonna be the the victor in the end and like to me that's kind of like a, a sad experience and it shows itself at the end of the movie when he you know meets his you know untimely demise no i agree i think benny is a pretty well written character and i think you do get to see like a little bit of like the fact that he's like always been like that even before the mummy because to some extent like I think he's you know I think you can kind of understand why someone might want to do anything they can to stop the mummy from killing them in that moment but he's already been like that like you already see how self-serving he is like before that which I think helps you not to have any kind of sympathy for him like in that moment and I think that that's pretty important I will say that like Ray had made a great point about the mummy and saying that like He's arrogant. I will say that, you know, he's been dead for the last 3,000 years. He doesn't get a lot of time to plan the way other villains get. But one thing that came up to me while we were, my husband and I were watching the movie was talking about when they know that he's after the, all of the people that opened the chest and he needs them and he needs like their flesh. I mean, obviously they're not going to do this because it's against their, their group, but they make a comment about talking about like the Magi, talking about how like they've killed innocent people to like protect against this and how that's their... What would the mummy be unstoppable if we if they killed those people themselves and destroyed their remains so that he couldn't get them? That's a really great point, and I was just thinking the same thing. I also just want to say, do you know who had a long time to plan? The Magi. Like, what are you doing, Magi? Like, I get it. That main dude has amazing hair. That probably takes a long time, especially in the desert. So maybe he has an excuse. But like, how many years have you had? Like, just hide the key i don't know move the body somewhere else like why aren't you just guarding the body at all times or the key at all times like 
what is going on? Like, who is in charge of the Magi? And why aren't you doing a better job? And just guard the book. Like, pa- like family heirlooms get passed down generation to generation, and that's fine. But you guys have, like, this sacred job, and, like, and you could cause an apocalypse, and you guys are just like, you know, we're going to sit here and watch. Be a little bit more active, Magi. Maybe, like, it's just me being, like, uh, playing devil's advocate, but, like, if they're dead, their flesh is still intact unless, like, they, like, decompose rapidly. And, like, if, if that's all he needs is, like, their flesh and their organs, even if they're dead, he can still collect those. Well, no, I was I, saying they could kill them and then, like, burn their remains. Oh, okay. It, then in that case, then, yeah, they should have they done that. Uh, but then we wouldn't have a movie, and this is Hollywood. <laughs> the other, you know, that's a fair point. And the other thing I would say is, like, the Magi, like, I understand that they're, like, trying not to tell people. But one, they don't kill everyone when they go in there. And they talk about how they, like, kill innocent people. But also, the people that are left, like, why not warn them? Just say, like, you tell them to leave. They have to leave. Why not tell them why they have to leave? These are all people that already, knew, like, believed in the, the ancient city of Hammurabi. So, like, they already have, like, and they're, they're looking for the Book of the Dead. So, like, I feel like they're more susceptible to, like, the greater population. And at this point, what do you have to lose? I mean, they are rich white men, so they might not listen to them, to be honest. But, like, they could at least maybe tell Evie, and maybe she went to read from the book. So, yeah, they, they, they had some, they had many avenues that they could have explored to do a better job. Like, Come on, like if the Magi were having a performance review, it would probably not be great for them, except for the hair. I mean, I you have to do a good job when you're hot, though. I mean, obviously not, but look what happened. Lives were lost, Alistair. Lives were lost. Also, not every member, I think, of the Magi were hot, to be honest. So, not, you know what that's mean to say? I don't really remember what the other people look like. Maybe they were. But, like, yes, you still have to do a good job. Like, when the apocalypse is like coming. Yeah, you know, maybe do a better job. And I like looking at the like the leader of the Magi. Yes, do I think that that's what we should be basing like if they're a good like person and good at their job? On? No, like he he had to be good at his job and he failed in that. And like they brought on the apocalypse and like they let kind of Evie do that. And that that is that is that is not that is no bueno. I mean, Rick has to do a good job, even though you think he's really hot. I'm just saying, like you know, it just kind of. It, it kind of is important. I did also, my husband brought up another point. I know I should have just had him on the episode, but he brought up another good point that in the in the movie, which is really interesting, they never make it seem like, the, they make it very obvious that the mummy doesn't. He always speaks in ancient Egyptian. And if if Benny's not like translating or Evie's not translating, we just don't know what he's saying sometimes. Like occasionally they'll like, they'll tell you, but like for the most part, it's like, they're making it more realistic. I feel like, because I feel like sometimes in other movies, it says like, miraculously everyone can understand. And it like, I, I like that they kind of kept that true to the character. I agree. That, yeah. that was something I noticed in the movie, even at when I first saw when I was like 12 or 13. Because at that point, I had seen like a bunch of like space movies with like aliens and stuff, but everyone spoke English. And I just, I really liked how like he, he could only communicate through Benny for the most part. Because like he was the only one who could translate that language. And like no one else understood what he was saying, but probably with the exception of Evie. Um, so like, yeah, I like when like if Benny wasn't on screen, we just didn't know what the hell Imhotep was talking about. That was that was like a really great attention to detail. Do we have to give props more to Benny and being like fluent in so many other languages? Maybe I, like, I kind of. He was fluent in a lot, a lot of languages and a lot of mythologies. Like the man was smart. He just used his powers for evil. I mean, I don't really know if he had powers because like he kind of was very he was kind of very powers. subservient. So. But he was smart, though, and and knowledge is power. He was very knowledgeable. Okay, that's a fair point, fair point. Um, 
I want to bring up when we move off the point a little bit. That poor man who loses his tongue <laughs> and his eyes. He was not a bad looking man. So, I mean, that's not a, I mean, you should feel bad for him for other reasons, but also, why would you leave your best friend? I'm, maybe they weren't, they, no, they were probably like best friend, like with this random man that you just met maybe a few months ago after he was horrifically attacked. Why you go drink your sorrows away and your friend's left by himself. That's called crappy friendship. Okay? Crappy friendship. I mean... Uh, I don't even think it's I, a couple of months later. I think it's like literally like a couple of days later. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, I meant like them meeting Benny. Oh, I don't know. I mean, they are being chased by an unstoppable immortal. I don't know how I would actually react to give them the benefit of the doubt. I will say that it did make me scared as someone with glasses that I would really be screwed if I didn't have it. Though he really should have still ran. Like I get he couldn't see very well, but like try. Like you, you the stakes are too high here. Yeah, yeah. like be a little I'm bit more frantic, my guy. I'm just talking about like when he's back there and like they get back to the hotel and he just has to sit by himself in his room and just be really sad. I would hope that my friends wouldn't be like, you know what, we're gonna go drink our sorrows away. While you're going to sit in this room, think about how you can't really see or talk anymore. We're going to leave you alone with Benny, who's kind of skeezy. And we're going to have a sad drink. What? Not cool at all. And (laughs) yes, he definitely should have tried to run because, like, we get it. You can't see. But, like, dude, you got to make an effort a little bit more. I guess. I I feel like, John, at this point, um, how this movie all like how this how all these actions come to be in the first place because I, again the magi really fuck shit up why would they bury or perform this ritual no matter how horrific their deeds in life why would they perform a ritual on someone that if they were ever to be brought back to life or resurrected and this is in the words of Oded fair would bring the seven plagues among among mankind why do that like, why would you, like, why does this ritual even exist? That, like, if he, if he was ever, by some means, a.k.a. the Book of the Dead, be brought back to life, that he would be unstoppable. It's kind of on them. The movie starts with, like, Imhotep performing this betrayal, but, you know, betraying the pharaoh, taking his, you know, his slave mistress, and because they fell in love. And he is mummified in such a way that if, if he was ever brought back to life, he would have the power of ages and bring the seven plagues upon the world. Why does that even exist? Like, that is a plot hole within itself, within the movie. It's it's just weird. Not disagreeing on that. I mean, first of all, you know, we don't know if the pharaoh was a good or a bad guy. He doesn't seem like he'd be a great guy, really, no. in my opinion, to be honest, because, like... It seems like you did kind of force yourself upon this woman. So um doesn't seem fantastic, but like we get it. He kills the Pharaoh, but yeah, it, it does seem like a lot of overkill to be like, now all these bugs are going to eat you and we're going to like totally like do this while you're alive. Like, dude, just who who's really the one ordering this? Like the Pharaoh's dead. Like we get it. You're loyal to your Pharaoh. Like, come on, just, just kill him and be done with it. Also, I think this kind of brings up an interesting point and I wasn't originally going to go there, but kind of the whole thing of like letting things rest Mm -hmm. because you know there is that whole thing of grave robbing even putting things like this things like this like in museums for displays when it's like originally that's not what they were intended or they're intended for people to be at rest and i kind of want to get your guys's perspective on this like i know maybe it's a little bit out there but like how do you guys feel about like maybe this is a loaded question 
that there are so many museums out there that just display, you know, bodies, significant like religious things when should they have been just allowed to be in their resting place? And what is the responsibility of returning these things back to the cultures themselves? I Maybe this is a little off topic, but I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point to make. I think I, I think the fact that they're even trying to like resurrect some of this stuff is probably a little problematic because it's not even their culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I know they do say that like, which is a whole other thing that like Evie and Jonathan like are part Egyptian, but like it, for the most, they're kind of messing with stuff that's really not necessarily theirs to kind of uh, mess with. Like no one really thinks to think like, oh, wow, the fact that the Book of Amran and like the fact that the Book of Adam are hidden, like maybe there's a reason. Like Maybe there's a reason why we should do that. And I think that that's kind of important. Also, I, there is something about like desecrating a corpse. Like you're not really supposed to do that. But it kind of makes sense because if you are like, you know, age, if they, like, there was there were rules and beliefs about the corpses that it sounds like based on this movie are supposed to be valid in ancient Egypt about how, you know, a body needs to be to go to the afterlife by messing with it. They can kind of like taint that a little bit. I think I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Ray, because like I have thought about this before and I thought I was thinking way too much into the movie. When I was younger, I used to I used to think like, oh, this is wrong. They shouldn't be doing this. Like, you know, like, like you're desecrating a grave and like their spirit can't move on because you've like, you know, done this thing. Um, But as I've gotten older and understood and learned more about um, how burials work, once the rite is completed, it's completed. Like if, if you do everything you're supposed to do, your soul can safely move on. And if someone a hundred years down the line digs up your grave, it doesn't impact. And so like, I kind of took solace in that. And also, as someone who is a Hellenic, um, who, you know, practices um, the religion of the ancient Greek gods, I wouldn't know as much as I know now if people hadn't done the research before. If they weren't digging up things they weren't supposed to be, if they weren't, you know, digging through texts and, you know, ancient tablets and, like, es- like, and like um, ex- excavating all of these things, I wouldn't know the stuff I know now. And like that, I think that speaks to society as a whole. Like we wouldn't know a lot of we know now if people didn't like, I guess to a certain extent, overstep or overdo and expose these things and dig up these things and like, you know, show them to the world. You know, there is a case to be made about, you know, putting things that don't belong to you in like, you know, a museum of example that, you know, isn't in the country of origin of where these artifacts are being displayed, you know, that can be argued. But I think at a certain point, just like humanity as we are as a whole, that's just the way it goes. And it's not good or bad. You know, you kind of have to be indifferent to it because otherwise you lose knowledge. And at the end of the day, I think knowledge is really important because like you learn from the past so you can make a better future. And that's where I, I kind of have fallen on that topic because I've thought about this so much before. Like this, the, the, like you bringing this up isn't the first time I've thought about this. Okay, but, so, okay. So Alistair kind of touching on the point of who has the right to display these things. Yeah. And also I think it is becoming, it's something that we are trying, I feel like more as a society that a lot of times in the past, a lot of Western societies were the ones talking about, oh, this is how it happened. Let us like, you know, display this. Let's give our interpretation. I feel like they are trying to do a better job now. Like, some museums and stuff of letting maybe that the culture that it came from and like letting their voice be heard. But do you think it is a problem that has existed still kind of exists today? You know, that responsibility of like, what do you, you know, return back letting the interpretation come from maybe a, you know, the, the source of the culture itself. I mean, yes, some of these cultures maybe don't exist anymore, but 
when you do tell them from a Western society perspective, a lot of times it does get viewed as, you know, oh, this was so savage of them and stuff like that. And that is something that, yes, is not happening as much as anymore, but something definitely in the past that did happen. I mean, one of the main things in The Mummy they bring up is that they're looking for treasure. They're not valuing what these meant to these people while they were living. They're just looking for the gold and the treasure and not thinking of the cultural significance. I feel like the movie itself kind of um, recognizes that and kind of attacks Western American culture for their greed. Like not only within like the script and the dialogue itself, but just like a, di- a, a directorial view, I feel like they try to depict um, the Western's obsession with gold and treasure as a negative and it impacts them negatively and like they lose their lives because of that so i think the directors and the writers of this movie really understand that and it's shown throughout whereas like you know um evie uh, and rick who are for this you know well mostly evie who's in it for the sake of knowledge is depicted as being in the right so like i do think they're aware of this of this conversation and this topic but overall as a whole if we're talking like you know past the movie um i agree with you that like you know we're getting better at it you know there's still some things that need to be worked on to be evolved and changed but like you don't know unless you grow and like all the transgressions of the past you know needed to happen so we can learn to do better so like that that's kind of where i fall on that like i try not to demonize or um raise any side up too much because you know i'm all about truth and finding the truth within history and like there there are never there are rarely any good guys and bad guys in history and like it's like this mix of both so like you know like there there's this middle ground between calling someone a savage and calling someone for example a colonizer like there's like a middle ground between those two things those dichotomies exist and there are people like that who have existed but for the most part i feel like history is like somewhere in the middle of all of that and I just wish the people who like find these these pieces of history weren't so biased in their own ways. And like we got a full scope of what actually happened or what surrounded, you know, this this corpse or this, you know, spearhead or what whatever we found that was, you know, that's being elevated and, you know, shown to the public in a museum. No, I don't disagree. I do feel like as they say, like history, sometimes they say what history is run by the victors. And we yes. do need to get more perspectives of what happened and under- to understand really what's going on. I, history is all about perspective and nothing, sadly, we're human and there's always going to be a bias, but you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. I will yeah. say, I think that Evie actually gets... At first, she's doing it to prove a point, I feel like, though. Like, she's really mad that Bembridge Scholars does not accept her. But I think throughout the later in the movie, I think she does actually become a better character because she does, I think, grow a little bit and see, like, oh, you know, I shouldn't be trying to prove myself to others. Maybe I should be pursuing this, you know, for the knowledge itself. Or I think I think she grows a little bit in that perspective. I don't think she necessarily starts off, like, you know, free of, like, any problems with, for that, if that makes sense. I think Evie starts, starts off as someone who's trying to mm-hmm. appeal to this, this certain um, power that she thinks uh, it has over her. Like, she's trying to appeal to this organization and this institution that she thinks is in charge of her future. That is what she wants to have like she wants the approval of these people but through this movie she understands like you said that like 
the seeking of knowledge is a is a reward within itself and having that is enough she, she doesn't need the approval or the stamp of approval from this organization she wants to find knowledge for the sake of finding knowledge and i think that's that's the growth she grow she goes through and that's why i i like like i want her like i have her to be my favorite character because she just without with without it being written like so much in your face like she goes through this journey because like rick is the main character he's the one who's getting all the you know action sequences and most of the screen time but if you watch the movie beginning to end like she's the one who goes through the the most growth and she saves everyone by just like finally accepting like you know like knowledge is power within itself and that's good enough for me and that is like the strongest message that comes through for me every time i watch the movie i would agree i think she definitely is trying to you know, her motivations change and become a little bit more about just like finding out and then also about eventually about writing the wrong that she had kind of created by reading from the Book of the Dead and like making sure that like, like she doesn't want to go, she wants to go back. You know, she, she doesn't want to let just the Magi handle it. She wants to be able to do that. And I think that that's a strong motivation too. And I think that that shows like all her character where like maybe like Rick and Jonathan are more like willing to be like, you know what? They're going to handle it. It's good. Let's just leave. And she's like, no, like we need to handle this. Speaking of a point you said earlier, Alistair, I definitely do think that's what they're getting at with the Americans of like trying to be like, they're just in it for greed and we need to like be looking at it with like more honorable intentions. But I also feel to me like they kind of also, the, the film, the producers and the, the, the film itself kind of goes into like leaving things alone and not burying up, um, like not bringing back up old past you know artifacts and stuff because at the end they don't keep the book of the dead like and the poop of the emerald she tries to and jonathan drops it and rick gets her to leave and they leave in time and they leave with their lives and they're bummed and basically rick's whole thing like the last little line of movies like she's like well we left with nothing he's like or her jonathan i can't remember who says it and he's like i don't think so we didn't leave with nothing and like Mm -hmm. he's implying this romance which i know you believe very strongly and i'm on the fence about but also the treasure that he kind of has, which is a little bit of like Rick's kind of personality. And I think just the fact that they kind of defeated it and like he's not, they think he's not going to be an issue anymore. I mean, obviously we know there's the second mummy movie, but so I do think they kind of go on that. I understand your point that like, you know, you have to learn and grow from history in some ways. And so like, that's a way of, of getting it. But I do think the movie kind of, I don't know, I get from the movie that like maybe the Magi were right all along and everyone should have just left it alone in that respect. Oh, I 100% get that. I feel like, and I'm not sure of this, maybe I should look this up before I say this, but I probably won't, that like maybe the writers or the director are British because like I feel like there's like this almost um, dissonance and disconnect between like what they're trying to say and what like the British Museum in real life actually does, like how they like, you know, uh, collect and hoard artifacts from across the world and bring to the British Museum and it's seen as like this, you know, this virtuistic thing where they just like you know like we're just displaying history and yada 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 and but in real time they're like ignoring the the part that they played in it the way they demonize americans for their greed and like selfishness they don't do that the same for evie and jonathan and i guess rick because like rick in some weird way gets associated with like the british side of of the conflict and not the american side like they it's it's very western centric heavy on like yeah they're bad they're greedy they're just like gunslingers when at the same time you know the other side is kind of the same way it's just like 
it's just not depicted the same. I was looking it up and it does look like most of the people that were involved in the writing of this movie were Americans. And, you know, Rick is an American um, that, you know, you that you said kind of left in there. So it sounds like that's kind of just a choice that they chose to make. Got it. I will say as well, I don't think Rick necessarily knew about the treasure that was in there because Benny was the one putting that on there. But yeah, I think once again, Maddie, I agree with you. You know, there is that point of maybe sometimes things do deserve to rest. I mean, do I agree that really all of us could have done it for the guy didn't like make a curse that was just so high stakes, like you had said earlier, Alistair? Of course. I mean, obviously, it kind of goes back to something you said earlier. It's like without it, there just wouldn't be a movie. But I, I, but I think that they're kind of at the end, kind of saying a little bit that like, like the city of Hammurabi kind of crashes down. I think the idea of it is supposed to be that like people will be done with it, that it's like its own with its own thing. And I mean, I don't know. I was also like watching it, and I was like. You know, it's kind of confusing because it's like, to some extent, it seems like like this garrison is fighting right in front of the city of Hammurabi, but then it's like no one knows it exists. So it was a little bit confusing to me, like the Magi are like the only people that seem to know. But then again, there's like all this action happening right near it. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a coincidence or if like it's just supposed to be that like you can't see it. And so like it comes like they end up, but like Rick accidentally gets there pretty quickly without like seeing the sun so i don't really know the bidding part kind of seemed to me like there might have been a little bit of a plot hole the entire thing around hominoptera just like makes no sense to me because like i get the uh the magi are like you know protective of it but like there's no way in that in that three thousand year span that no one else no other group like discovered hominoptera and were like oh this thing is here and like either the Magi were really good at their job and killed everyone, which we know not to be true because they fucking suck at stopping, you know, like eight Americans and like four British people or like no one ever came across it in 3000 years, which I like, we know is not also not true because Rick runs into it by accident. So I was like, how has this been a secret for so long? Side note, they do talk about so many other groups trying to search for it. Actually in the past, they bring that up in the movie. Also, maybe, like, the past Magi were good at their job. Maybe mm. it's just the current Magi that just sucks so much. But why would it, why did it have to be with Oded Fair? He's so hot. Maybe maybe you're right, Ray, that, like, he's so consumed with, like, making sure his hair is flawless. That, like, he's he's falling apart on, like, actually protecting Hominoptera. Also, it seems like they're kind of, like, you know, they've been given this job, like, inherited it. Maybe some of these people don't want this job. Like, True. they may not want to be, like, having a guard against the mistakes that their ancestors 3,000 years ago made. Also, I, I realized after Alice was saying it, it is an optra. I keep saying Hammurabi. I'm not exactly sure why it is an optra. You can get, like, maybe Hammurabi's code. Maybe. But <laughs> the man just really wanted to be a hair model, and he had to, like, just sit there. No one else saw his hair because he's in a spy city. That no one's supposed to be at. He is surrounded by these other people with inferior hair, and he's just like, I could be working in Hollywood now, Hollywood right now with this beautiful hair, I'm very handsome, and I'm just stuck here in the desert. I will say it's the 1920s. It's not really like a Hollywood that much right now, but I will say that I would watch that sequel. I feel like instead of going into like having the mummy come back again, maybe we just go into a different character. We just talk about the majority. We just see his dream. It's like, let's see what the Magi's real dream... Like, what was his dream? Let, let's let's explore that. Now that honestly, the mummy's been defeated, what do they do now? What yeah, honestly, it? instead of the Mummy 3, they should have done a Hominoptera um, Magi prequel. That would have been great. 
I also would have loved to see if maybe, like you said, maybe some, maybe like the original Magi were like really into their job and they were doing a great job. Maybe they had the key with them and they knew where everything was and they were just like, we know what we're doing. We go down there like every week, we make sure everything's the same. And then their children just were like, nah, bro, their great, great child, nah, I don't want to do this. Yeah, exactly. I will also say that after 3,000 years of, like, nothing happening, I would say you get, you get a little lazy, you get a little complacent, you cut a little bit of corners, you'd be like, you know what, it all worked out, it's never happened before, this is ridiculous, they're probably being a little bit overcautious. And True. obviously when that happens, when you drop the ball like that, bad things happen. So, we didn't really talk about Jonathan at all, I feel like he deserves a little love, he does have some funny moments, I love when he, when there's that big, big giant mob he just goes in there and just pretends like, oh, yeah, it's I'm anymore. also here. And yeah. I respect that choice, Jonathan. Like, you know what you're about. You're like, you know, I'm not going to be able to find my way out of this. But you know what? I'm going to act. I'm going to do a fantastic job. And he does. So respect for that, Jonathan. You got some funny moments. He did. I, I love him as a character. I love what they do with him even more in the second movie. Uh, they really, like, keep up his characteristics and like they the movie never seeks to like try to like redeem him or villainize him one way or the other he he just exists as a man just like living life and like wanting the finer things and like going through any means necessary to get those things like they don't villainize him too much and they don't try to um you know restore his character like he he, he just exists as a person in this world and i love that I agree. I mean, I think I, I have to say that at the end when he's like trying to read the inscription to be able to like get attacked, like get the army to follow him. And he just can't get that like that one like um, hierog- hierog- hieroglyphic. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah, hieroglyphic. Yeah. I, he can't get that. And like like he's just like it's taking him forever to read it. And like Rick is struggling. And like he's like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, you know what? I was just like, damn it, Jonathan, like, get it together. <laughs> I understand Jonathan's point because I'm also really bad at pronunciation. So, you know, it happens. People are bad at pronouncing. Yeah, especially with a magic book, you say one thing wrong and it's even like bringing, like destroying the dead, you sever your head. So, like, I, I applaud him for taking the break. They see him hustling them. Like, he waits a while to finally ask Evie, like, what it is. Like, says he can't bring it out. And I'm like, they're kind of like really working hard here. Like, Rick can't fight off this, this mummy forever. Also, he also speaks ancient Egyptian, and this was, like, his idea. Like, he's supposed to speak it a little bit. I just feel like, be better, like, qualified for this journey that you're going to do. Like, he's just relying on Evie and Rick for everything. Like, what does Jonathan contribute? Jonathan yeah, was like, a white man in the 1920s. That's all he needs to contribute. <laughs> I mean, Rick is, too, and Rick brings a little bit more to the table. Yeah, he doesn't know the knowledge stuff. He leaves that to Evie. But at least, like, he's there fighting the, 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 the mummy. Why doesn't Jonathan work on breaking Evie free? And then she can call the army character makes complete sense to me i didn't say it wasn't surprising i said it was infuriating <laughs> and i stand by that well i don't disagree i'm just like yeah this makes sense yeah it's it is an interesting it is an interesting movie and i think it does a good job as an action film where it, it does ask you know some questions but it, it it is also just like kind of a feel-good film that you can just kind of watch for a couple of hours it doesn't really like I don't think it asks too much of the of the of the watcher or the viewer. It just kind of like lets you enjoy it. You can take out some stuff about the knowledge. You can watch. You can appreciate the growth. But at the end of the day, you can kind of like leave it there. It's also a movie that, like, after watching it, I'm not going to be incredibly impressed. 
it's like it's a good movie i enjoyed myself but i can go on like about my day where some movies like after you watch them they just destroy you and you're just like oh god now what am i gonna do like where do i go from there like for example schindler's list or life is beautiful to bed to bed oh god no i just need to like sit in silence with a blanket for like a few hours and just be like Watch a Disney movie, then go to bed. Have you watched some Disney movies? Like, The Lion King is sad. His dad died. Sorry, a DCOM. To be more specific, a DCOM. DCOMs are, like, usually uplifting. Like, whenever I watch a horror movie, I watch, when I was younger, I would watch a DCOM, then go to bed. Because, like, I wouldn't have nightmares. I feel like that works. I usually put on, like, a sitcom or something. Yeah. But, no, I mean, something like, like, I mean, yeah, you're right. I think this is a pretty feel-good film where like you could watch it it's got action but like and there's some horrifying parts in it like there is a lot of horror in like the way people die and like mm-hmm. the little bugs that are around like those are really gross and the deaths are pretty gruesome but it doesn't leave you feeling like it didn't leave me feeling scared for myself or worried or worried about nightmares it just kind of was like oh wow there's like elements to it but it's not like the whole movie it's really more action thriller than it is like horror and so yeah it does leave you kind of feeling good so after a horror movie, I just remind myself that's not real, and then I go to sleep. Shit, I can't. Some of those horror movies are based on true stories, and they are real. Yeah, I need a break. I feel like I know your answers already, but would either of you recommend this movie to our listeners? I would recommend it, but I wouldn't demand it of them. I don't think that someone needs to see this movie, or like their life will be changed if they see it, but I do think it's like, a decent movie or someone wanted an action movie or like a light feel good movie i would have no problem like recommending it but i don't think i would recommend it as strongly as like you would alice i'd recommend it as well once again i probably wouldn't recommend it as much as alistair but i would recommend it more than maddie would i mean it was one of my favorite movies as a kid it's why i had this huge thing with ancient egypt as a child as well it's an enjoyable fun movie there are a lot worse movies that you could watch there are some better movies for sure you could watch. Um, Dark Knight, fantastic movie. I'm just gonna put it out there. If you haven't, if you haven't seen Dark Knight at this point in your life, I'm shocked by you. But that besides the point. But yeah, recommend it. Good watch. Good fun movie. Eat some popcorn. Maybe have some candy. Maybe a beer. Fun times. I would recommend this movie and demand it. If you have a family, gather them all around the screen. You all need to watch this movie if you want your life to be fundamentally changed forever. I would recommend this movie. It's great. It's a nice piece of nostalgia. Even if you didn't grow up in the time, just watching this movie would it will instantly remind you of what life was like in like the late 90s, early 2000s. It's an essential piece of media in general. Uh, it takes place in the 1920s, right? I know, but like the movie came out in the 90s. That's what I'm trying to invoke, like the 90s, early thousands. That's what I'm trying to like when the movie came out. Also, I would, I, I would like to say, Alistair, always the contrarian. Well, it's true, though. I'm a contrarian with a purpose. Like James Dean, I'm a rebel with a cause. I would recommend this movie. Watch it with your family. If you're ever nostalgic for like a, a time of like really good media and film, go to this movie watch it with your family, bring your kids into it so they know what good media is. And that's my thoughts on that. Hey, Alistair, you do know it's yes. Rebel Without a Cause, right? God so I just want to be aware of this. I don't know phrases. Don't bring this against me. I'm trying to make yes, a point. You talk so much about knowing media, but you, 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 know, you didn't know that, and that's a pretty big 
part of media, so... I wouldn't say it's a pretty big part of media. You did also bring James Dean up in the last episode where about Supernatural, so I do just want to put that out there as well. You know what, audience? We have been keep it for the pod. (laughs) Are there any more thoughts before I leave? I'm embarrassed. No, I think we're good. Okay, if you guys have any questions or comments for us, please send us uh, any emails at keepitforthepod at gmail.com or or follow and send us a message at our social media at keepitforthepod on Instagram. I do want to say something really quick because, you know, I got right. cut off from saying anything. I just want you to say... You did not. Alistair, can I please finish? Go ahead. I just want to say how much I love doing this podcast with my lovely co-hosts and how we all respect each other. And this is all in good fun. Something about that seems so shady and I can't put, <laughs> and, uh, I don't believe you for two seconds. And then on that note, thank you all. Um, and um, uh, I guess listen to the outro. <laughs> Goodbye, guys. Hey there, avid podcast listener. Thanks for tuning in for an episode of keep it for the pod. If you have any ideas for movies, TV shows, or topics, email keepitforthepod at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined, please subscribe. Later days.